0: This is One Path with MetroHealth, your toolkit for helping to combat the opioid epidemic as a member of the medical community with empathy, mindfulness, and a big picture perspective. I am Libby Palaya, educator within MetroHealth's Department of Opioid Safety. Thanks for joining us. In our last episode, we talked about all the different ways that electronic health records and point-of-care dashboards are used to collect and contextualize physicians' opioid prescribing data. All of these tools were created to promote safer prescribing habits and streamline the process of making informed choices as a care provider. But what else is done with this data to impact change? Is there a use for it beyond provider self-regulation or its role as an organization-wide barometer of overall opioid safety? Absolutely. The data collected by Metro's Opioid Safety Tools is used as a foundation for the Department of Opioid Safety's peer review program, and in this episode of Path, we will be taking a comprehensive look at this process and led by the perfect guide. Dr. Joan Papp is the medical director of Metro Health's Office of Opioid Safety. An emergency physician by training, Dr. Papp has been with Metro since 2000 and over those years has emerged as a national leader in opioid safety and safer prescribing best practices. Peer review is an interpersonally and practically impactful tool for creating meaningful change in the practice of prescribers.
1: Peer review is a concept of reviewing our peers um, in a number of arenas. The peer review that we're focused on in the Office of Opioid Safety is controlled substance peer review. So we we abbreviate that in our office as CSPR. Um, So we are the CSPR peer review committee. Essentially, What this process is intended to do is to apply the standards for safe prescribing of these controlled substances throughout our system by looking at those prescribing practices of our providers, giving those providers some feedback and recommendations for improvement. We we try to do this in a confidential, collegial environment with the goal of reducing adverse patient outcomes and reducing the total number of prescriptions for controlled substances that are are leaving our system.
0: Before the peer review process was as established as it is now, the data collected by the Opioid Safety Dashboard at MetroHealth was analyzed and was able to provide some very important conclusions.
1: We identified in our hospital system that um, about 50% of the opioid prescribing was coming from a fairly small number of providers. And so when we decided that we needed to do a little closer um, look at those providers, we, we decided that it would probably be wise to focus on that group. And if we were able to change the behavior of those providers, we would make a, a big impact in opioid prescribing throughout the system. After focusing on those providers, we we then look at each individual department and try to identify um, the the outliers in each department. There are you know, um, one or two prescribers that sort of rise to the top on all of the metrics. Um, we, will, we will perform a review on those providers.
0: When described at a high level, being selected for review by the Office of Opioid Safety seems similar to something like being selected for an audit by the IRS. But in practice, when a provider is reviewed, lots of context is integrated into the analysis of their numbers
1: the numbers don't tell the whole picture. So when we see someone who has sort of the appearance of a high volume of prescriptions or high numbers on some of these metrics that we look at, we then take 10 charts, 10 patient charts,
0: and we look at them more closely. We apply what we call an advocate checklist. The advocate checklist is an objective list of best practices that have been adapted from the CDC guidelines in addition to local and state rule, including medical board rules and pharmacy board rules in Ohio. After the advocate checklist is applied, the peer review committee searches for even more context. We look at what is the diagnosis the
1: opioid is being prescribed for, what is the MME, what are their comorbidities? So do they have other things that might put them at risk for an adverse outcome like diabetes or heart disease? Um, do they have COPD and maybe at higher risk for respiratory depression um, with an opioid? Um, we look at if they are co-prescribed other sedating medications like benzodiazepines or other sedating psychiatric medications or muscle relaxants and then we look to see if any any sort of red flags are showing up in the prescriber's record you know are they coming to the emergency department for overdoses are they running out of their pills quickly and asking for early refills, um, those types of things. And then we we try to also identify if um, providers are routinely doing toxicology screens um, as recommended by the CDC guidelines. And so we we, uh, apply this checklist for 10 patients, and then we put together a summary. um, And we present this to our peer review committee, We review that information and determine what the next step is. Sometimes we perform this review and we recognize that, boy, maybe the numbers aren't telling the whole picture and this provider seems to be adhering to all guidelines and doesn't need an intervention.
0: But that's not always the case. Sometimes the committee recognizes patterns of non-adherence to CDC guidelines along with other potentially risky prescribing patterns, In those cases, the committee determines if they can provide further recommendations for that provider and if that recommendation includes an in-person meeting. If an in-person meeting is decided upon as the best option, it's a primary goal to make sure that the experience feels like an opportunity to adjust and learn, not a surprise intervention.
1: Meeting with the provider can be very intimidating, and providers often can feel, um, if it's done in a non-constructive way, that They're sort of, um, they're being called into question. Their practice is being called into question. They they can feel like their back's up against the wall. And so we really try to be very thoughtful in the way we approach our feedback. We try to do that in in as non-confrontational of a way as possible. Um, we try to make sure that they have an advocate in the room. So, on our peer review committee, we have a multidisciplinary team. So, we have emergency physicians, we have primary care physicians, we have surgeons, we have a psychiatrist and addiction specialist. Um, we also have um, pain management specialists as well. And so we try to match up our provider with somebody from their specialty who can act as an advocate for them. And we'll often involve the chairperson of their department as well, just so that they, um, they don't feel like it's, it's us against them.
0: We asked Dr. Papp to explain the course of the conversation in a standard provider face-to-face review
1: typically the way we approach it is we we just share the data first. You know, we let them see what their numbers look like, and we share that data of, of their prescribing patterns compared to their peers with their peers de-identified. And oftentimes when they see that they're clearly an outlier, that in and of itself can, can be quite eye-opening for, for providers. They may not really have had any idea that they were prescribing in a manner that was any different from their peers. We try to kind of just get feedback on, on the data first. Are there things that perhaps may be driving your prescribing patterns to be different from your peers? Are you seeing a different population of patients than your peers? Do you have a population of chronic pain patients while all of your peers have, you know, young patients who don't have any chronic pain? We've really had some providers who I think have struggled for a long time and really sort of not known how to address this problem that they they recognized was going on. Um, and so so those providers tend to really embrace the process and they welcome it.
0: But there's a spectrum. Dr. Papp told us that most pushback from providers comes from those who have some pain management training themselves, and that can be a difficult situation.
1: Pain management training was very different a decade or two decades ago. Opioids were uh, really the mainstay of treatment for chronic pain for, for many years. And as we learned new information, we have changed and guidelines have changed. And so it can be um, It can feel very intimidating, I think, and and frustrating to have um, our group provide feedback to those providers because they sort of see themselves as the experts. I think it's vital to have a advocate in the room, um, somebody who understands the process and can advocate for that provider and work with that provider to stay compliant with guidelines and get them on a uh, little bit safer path for their patients.
0: So once this difficult topic has been broached, what's next? What recommendations or resources are provided to create positive change? The committee starts with the review of the CDC guidelines around opioid prescribing.
1: We kind of walk through the summary of their prescribing and share with them, this is uh, how your prescribing fits into the guidelines for, that the CDC recommends and or um, how your prescribing is compared to state medical board and pharmacy board rules. Um And then we will, you know, just make sure that they have a good understanding of what those rules and and, um, guidelines are. Um, Because, you know, some some folks may not be uh, up to date on on the guidelines. And so we just want to make sure that they, they do know exactly what the guidelines are, what the medical board rules state.
0: The next offerings include opportunities for further education. One of my
1: favorite tools for providers is a online safer prescribing course called the Scope of Pain. And I have no investment in, in this <laughs> group, but I, I think they're really wonderful. It's um, a free online program. Um, And it's basically a couple of hour CME course where you can review best practice um, for safer prescribing. And again, it's free. And so we recommend that to all of our providers who are going through the peer review process. We also will offer to pay for them to attend a Case Western Reserve um, intense safer prescribing course. Um, that lasts about three days. I, I think it costs a few hundred dollars, and our office puts the bill for it. We also recommend that they do a buprenorphine uh, DEA waiver course because, you know, we recognize that a lot of the patients that um, they've uh, been prescribing to may have some addiction issues that need to be addressed. And I think one of the things that we've learned from our providers is that they. Don't really necessarily know what to do once they identify that their patient is, um, you know, struggling with addiction, and so giving them that tool, that extra tool, um, and training on how to care for a patient with addiction and how to prescribe buprenorphine for medication-assisted treatment can really um, add another tool in their toolbox when they're prescribing to a patient and, um, and they recognize that an addiction is present.
0: Lastly, a pain management pharmacist is available to work with providers. We have
1: hired a pain management pharmacist who will work with our providers, um, review, do a chart review, look at the um, prescriptions for opioids as well as um, other medications that the patient may be on, and provide feedback um, and make recommendations for weaning the
0: opioids. While the peer review process is, by definition, a process created for shaping provider behavior at its core, troubling information about patients can also present itself during this process. I'm
1: sure you can imagine when we're doing this process and we're doing these uh, patient chart reviews, we often identify patients who may be at immediate risk. That may be because they're either on a very high dose of an opioid, they may be on a high dose of an opioid plus a bentodiazepine. Sometimes we identify on a tox screen, there is illicit substances that um, have not been addressed. So those patients, we really want to um, work with the provider to get that patient either weaned off of the opioid or into some addiction treatment. And the parallel process that, you know, collaborates with our peer review is our controlled substance um, case manager. And so we have a utilization review nurse who sort of does all of the peer reviews. And when she identifies a patient who looks like, you know, they, they might need a referral or some other intervention, she will hand that patient off to our case manager. And that process moves forward outside of the peer review process.
0: That being said, Dr. Papp and the Office of Opioid Safety strongly discourage stopping prescriptions abruptly. We
1: recognize that that leads to withdrawal in many cases and can lead patients to feel very isolated, um, potentially seek drugs on the street. And so doing things in a very slow, methodical, and thoughtful way is is really important um, to helping not only maintain um, the the patient relationship um, but also to keeping that patient safe and away from illicit drugs during the process.
0: So what can you do if you're concerned about the opioid prescribing levels of a caregiver as a fellow physician or as a patient yourself or even as a loved one of a patient?
1: Well, at our institution, they can certainly uh, approach us. Um, they can come to the office of opioid safety, send us a message, say, hey, I'm concerned about a provider and, you know, we're, we're happy to do a review. Um, since we started our peer review process, we have gotten feedback and referrals for providers really through a number of routes. We've gotten confidential uh, referrals from concerned family members. Um, we've gotten confidential referrals from legal. We have gotten referrals from the pharmacy. Um, if they have noticed that a Particular provider is prescribing far more than their peers.
0: Dr. Papp says that providers themselves should feel absolutely free to seek out the guidance and resources of the Office of Opioid Safety as well. We
1: have had providers approach us and say, I'm concerned about a patient um, or a number of patients, and, and I just I need help. I, I don't know how to wean the opioids. I don't know, um, you know what to do now that I've, I've identified that my patient has an addiction um, and, you know, we'd like to get some of those resources at your office.
0: Next time on One Path, oftentimes these patients have chronic pain. They have been on opioids for a long, long time. You know, if it's not broke, why fix it or why change it? It's working for me. We talked to pharmacists Amanda Benedetti and Dr. Mike Harrington about pain management and the role of the pharmacist. One Path with Metro Health is a production of Evergreen podcasts, produced, written, and engineered by Hannah Ray Leach and mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman. Special thanks to Mike Tobin, Carolyn Tobian, Joan Papp, Joya Riff, and the entire Department of Opioid Safety in making this show possible. You can learn more about One Path access opioid safety resources and get connected with our team at onepathpodcast.com. Thanks for joining us.